You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have one of my favorite all-time authors back on the show with me. William Kent Kruger has a brand new book. It's called Fox Creek. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the 19th Cork O'Connor mystery uh, in, in that series. One of my absolute favorite series of books uh you know kent kruger is one of those guys that i'm a i'm a day one purchase for that i have a handful of authors that that uh that i'm a day one purchase for and fox creek i i have had the privilege of reading a a an arc release a a, a pre-release copy of it phenomenal book this is this is a must-have uh cork goes in some directions I didn't expect in this book, and we're going to talk all about it. Welcome to the show, Kent. A pleasure to be with you this morning, Hank. And I got to tell you, you sure know how to make a guest feel welcome. <laughs> well, that's the goal. That's the goal, uh, Kent. Uh, it's been a little bit since we've uh, since we've gotten to chat. As as a matter of fact, an entire global pandemic happened um, in in our absence. Um, but bef- before we get to talking about all the stuff that's transpired since then, um, I've, I have a question that I've been asking people lately, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, is there a piece of writing advice that you received from someone, and maybe that advice was just some of the best writing advice and it has has stuck with you all these years, or maybe – it was so terrible that you that you just look back and laugh on. Has there has there been anything like that happened to you? Yeah, the worst piece of writing of writing advice I ever received was this: check to see what's hot. Write whatever <laughs> people want to read right now, <laughs> which is like the stupidest piece of advice I have ever heard anybody give, because. You know, every astute writer knows that by the time you've created a manuscript for what's hot, what's hot isn't hot anymore. Right. So the piece of advice that I offer writers is um, there's only one voice you should be listening to, and that's the one that speaks to you from your heart. Write what your heart tells you to write, not what's hot, not what anybody else says you should be writing. Write what your heart tells you you should be writing. Well, and and that becomes easier when you have a series that's that's very popular, and you have a series character that people love. They're they're much more willing to go on different adventures with you when you've already built that rapport with your readers, isn't it? Well, it is, but you know, I built that rapport with readers because I was writing stories from the heart. <laughs> sure, for, <laughs> right. One hundred percent. I loved, uh, I loved the characters and the setting and uh, just the whole idea of the world I was creating. Gotcha. Um, this is book nineteen uh, for Cork O'Connor. Did did you when you created that character? Did you ever imagine this sort of longevity? 
Are you are you kidding, Hank? <laughs> I think if you talk to any writer of a long running series, they're going to tell you 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 write that first book just hoping you can create a manuscript that's good enough somebody might actually want to publish it. Did um, you know that? Like we mentioned earlier, there's uh, there was this strange thing that happened a couple of years ago, and the the whole world shut down. Uh, most writers that I know. Uh, work from home or, or in a secluded office of some sort. And, uh, you know, the the outside world doesn't uh, encroach on on uh, a creative person's life, except for, you know, by choice. Uh, there's it's a different thing when, you know, the rest of the world is being forced to work the same way you do. Uh, how did how did the world shutting down affect you and your creative process? Well, I uh, have always worked a little differently than probably the vast majority of writers out there. Uh, I have done all my work outside my house. I have uh, written most of my novels in coffee shops. Um, so when the pandemic descended and we had to shelter in place, um, I had to give up my coffee shop and uh, and go into uh, <laughs> go into retreat in my house, which became my office. So I exchanged the kitchen counter for the coffee shop. And that's where I've been doing my work, along with, you know, the vast majority of the workforce for the last couple of years. Um, what I found during the pandemic, Hank, you know, I have to tell you, honestly, um, it, it's been one of the most creative periods I've ever gone through as a writer. I know that I know the COVID virus, the coronavirus created chaos in so many lives, tragedy sure. in so many lives. But for me, it turned out to be uh, just an incredibly creative uh, period of time. And I think that was because I, you know, wasn't able to go out on tour. Uh, I had no obligations outside my writing itself, although I was, I have been Zooming an enormous amount with book clubs <laughs> across the world uh, since the pandemic. But it it has been just an enormously creative period of time for me without the disruptions of, of the usual daily life. Yeah. Th there have been some interesting things that have come about. You, you mentioned Zoom and a lot of, uh, a, a lot of in-person appearances were, uh, were rescheduled for Zoom appearances and, and, you know, people appeared, um, you know, at, at virtual bookstores over Zoom and virtual writers groups and where, where a writer would normally show up in person and then you couldn't do another event until the next day because you would have to physically travel to another city in a lot of cases. Um, you, and I talked with Brad Thor a, a while back and, and he said one of the interesting things is because of Zoom, now I can do three, four, five in-person appearances a day where I used to only be able to do one because I had to physically travel to another city. Well, you know, Zoom is not an exact replacement for an in-person event and, you know, book signings and, you know, gripping and grinning and, you know, all of that good stuff. Uh, there have been some upsides and some positives that have uh, come out of, you know, people just using ingenuity to keep us all connected. Yeah, I think Zoom was one of the few silver linings of the pandemic. Uh, we discovered that you can create community uh, uh, virtually. Uh, right. I zoomed with book clubs all around the world, which was something that you know was uh, almost unthinkable pre-pandemic, pre-Zoom. Uh, 
Um, and since the uh, since the descent of the pandemic, I've zoomed with probably 400 book clubs. Wow! Which I would never have had the opportunity to, to do uh, if I were <laughs> to try to make a personal appearance at every one of those. <laughs> well, you know, when uh, when a word becomes a verb, uh, you know, we're just going to zoom. You know, you, you yeah, know exactly. that something has changed. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I'd invested in Zoom pre-pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, so Kent, when, when you start, you know, when it's that time of year again to start thinking about a new Cork O'Connor uh, book, uh, what is that, that first uh, bit of exploration that you do? Do, do you start thinking about, um, you know, what's a new place that I can put – Cork and company in uh, is it is it a, a a plot device that you know maybe you've seen a, a news uh, article or, or something and it's kind of triggered the what if game or is it a character that walks onto the stage of your mind what what is that 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 early process and book development like well the ideas have come from all of the places that you've just mentioned Hank. <laughs> um, sometimes um, I I know I have to write a story based on what I did in the last Cork O'Connor novel. So there's something I have to follow up on very often because I, you know, my books deal significantly with the Native American community here in Minnesota. Very often a story idea will come from a suggestion made by one of my uh, Ojibwe friends. Um, they'll they'll uh, enlighten me about an important issue, either currently within the community or something that has uh, drastically affected the community in the past. And then that that begins the thinking process. How can I build a story around this issue so that white readers uh, might be uh, made more broadly aware uh, of the issue and its impact? You, you grew up uh, a little farther west from where you live now, right? Well, I, I, in all honesty, Hank, I was a, a nomadic kid I came <laughs> from a family of nomads. We moved all over the country. Um, so I spent part of my time uh, in my teenage years in the West. I spent my adolescence in the Midwest. I spent my early years in the South. So I've been all over the place. Well, the, the Cork O'Connor novels are uh, are are kind of known for uh, for representing a sense of place as much as they do um, Cork himself. Um, how do you feel about the 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 world building, the setting that you have created for for Cork and Company? When I used to teach writing, Hank, um, I always taught sense of place before I taught anything else because so much rises, so much in a story rises out of place. Right. Um, you know, if you talk to uh, a biologist about uh, the nature of an organism, the biologist is going to tell you to look at the environment in which that organism grew. Or you ask a sociologist to explain why people do the things they do, and the sociologist is going to say, look at the environment in which that those individuals or that individual was raised. Um, so for me, setting 
uh, character comes out of setting, plot comes out of setting, motivation comes out of setting, atmosphere comes out of setting. So much comes out of the place in which you decide you're going to locate your story. So I always start off with uh, trying to figure out how I'm going to create a profound sense of place, uh, particularly in the Cork O'Connor series. I know I have to offer readers um, some of the elements that they have come to expect in the novel, but I always try to think, okay, what what else can I give them? And, uh, and so I'm always looking for what, what's unique about the North Country of Minnesota to offer readers. Um, I strive to, to be a very sensual writer, so I try to bring in all of the senses as much as I can in the creation of place. Cork is, is uh, a really fascinating character because, uh, as you kind of alluded to earlier, he's a character of mixed heritage. And that kind of pops up as a as a theme, as um, as a um, as as something that very much plays into the story in, in a number of books, but none more than Fox Creek. Um, what is the the central tension in Fox Creek? Oh, it's a search for it's a it, it is in large measure a search for who we are. Um, several of the characters in the story are trying to figure that out. Uh, when you, particularly when you are a person of mixed heritage, um, you feel it's easy, as as my friends in the Ojibwe community have explained to me, it's easy to feel outside all uh, of the communities that you might otherwise be a part of. Um, sometimes, if you, if you're of mixed heritage, you know that you're not quite native enough for the natives and you're not quite white enough for the whites and it's an un it can be an, an uncomfortable place to be and so much of fox creek is trying to figure out um, identity what it means to be to have native heritage um and uh and quirk you know throughout the the series has struggled with this but now i brought in other characters who are wondering the same thing the um the characters that show up in this book, um the the character of Henry is fascinating to me. Where where did the idea for him come from? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. You know, every storyteller, you know, every storyteller, Hank, understands that there's a bit of magic involved in the stories that we create. Yes. And so often, um, blessings just drop into our laps out of nowhere. And where those where those blessings come from, God only knows. But Henry Malou was some was a character who just kind of dropped into my lap. I still remember writing the initial scene in which Henry made his first appearance in the series. He just walks out of a snowstorm. I didn't really have any sense of who this character was going to be until I got him into the uh, into the Bronco with Cork, and uh, and Henry begins to reveal himself as his true nature to Cork and, and to readers. And um, he has morphed over time uh, into what has become for many readers uh, their favorite character in the story. And really, he was just a blessing that came to me out of nowhere. It, it's so interesting that, um, that we've got the character of Henry, um, but then we also have this other plot with this this missing woman and and uh, a, a, a band of folks that are hunting her. And they they can seem like such disparate things in the beginning. Uh, but then you weave them together and and we realize that all of these things are connected um, where and, and it 
one thing that I loved is that there there seems to be no rhyme or reason for um, this woman being hunted. And I, I, I just think back to so many, you know, news articles that we see or, you know, stories on, on TV or whatever. And these horrible things happen and, and nobody knows why. And it just seems so random. But there so many times there's there is meaning behind the randomness. We we just don't know how to how to piece piece it together. Um, but then comes along Cork. <laughs> well, that's the beauty. That's one of the beauties of fiction, Hank. Right. We, we give meaning to what otherwise seems total chaos. So uh, so one of the, the fun things in writing a story is to give the reader a scenario uh, that is uh, compelling, threatening, and, and, and not give the reader the reason why these things are happening. Um, and so I had a lot of fun playing with that until I finally give the reader the answer to, to that particular mystery. But that's part of the suspense that readers, I think, enjoy in reading the kind of genre in which I write. Um, what about the uh, the setting of this book? And well, and and most of the Cork books, if not all, uh, have been set in in Minnesota. Um, uh, what what is it about this region that is so rich uh, for storytelling? Well, I'll tell you why it's rich to me. Uh, as I indicated earlier, I had a rather nomadic uh, life before I moved to Minnesota. I didn't move here until I was. 30 years old so that my wife could go to the University of Minnesota Law School. Um, before that, I never really had any place that I thought of or called home. But the minute I set foot in Minnesota, Hank, I knew I'd found home. Um, wow. I fell absolutely in love with this place. And uh, when uh, when my wife and I began to go to the North Country, uh, you know, the famous Paul Bunyan area, um, I, I, my heart just my heart just soared, and uh, and I knew that when I got serious about my writing, this was what I wanted to write about. You know, what writers of uh, fiction are looking for um, is conflict, because it's conflict that drives great stories. What yeah. is it that drives Romeo and Juliet? It's that conflict between uh, the powerful families, the Capulets and the Montagues, in which our star-crossed lovers, uh, you know, find themselves caught. Or Moby Dick, you know, it's Ahab and that white whale butting heads. Uh, so when I looked up north in Minnesota, I saw just tremendous conflict. Conflict in the in the legendarily bad winters that we have up there. Conflict in the in the rugged landscape and conflict in the cultures, particularly. Ojibwe and and white cultures trying to live together and not always doing a very good job of it. And so the North Country to me just seemed a perfect place for stories to arise from. Well, and and you get such dramatic uh, differences in weather uh, between uh, the the summer and, you know, uh, very harsh winters. uh, If you get, you know, caught out in the wilderness, Um, that has to really ramp up the dramatic tension in places doesn't it oh absolutely winters in minnesota can kill you you yeah yeah. (laughs) and and they can isolate you um you know you're always looking for ways as a storyteller to isolate uh the the people that you want a reader to care about uh put them in jeopardy and isolate them and uh, the wilderness is perfect for that snow storms are perfect for that so i use everything the north country offers me in order to ratchet up the suspense 
<laughs> you know, where where I live in Mississippi, um, we have very mild winters, and you know the the tension in winter is, oh my goodness, uh, is it cold enough for me to wear long pants and possibly a sweater today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you are so you are so wusses down there. <laughs> <laughs> Although this time of year, your face will melt off if you're not careful. So, well, you, know, that. you know, yeah, we don't have that. the heat and humidity in the summer <laughs> that you have in Mississippi. I'm not sure I could survive that. You know, in the winter up here, you just layer. Uh, you right. put on the clothes to uh, to uh, battle the weather down at, you know, in, in your neck of the woods, there's only so much clothing you can remove, you know. Well, yeah, you you, you can only remove so much, you know, in polite company. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, it can't what I you know, I know that that a writer should never read their reviews and, you know, that can be a frustrating experience. But uh, I went and read some of the early reviews for you. And a lot of people are saying this is the best book in the series yet. Uh, you know, when you're when you're up to to book 19, uh, you know, w- without naming names, there there are a few authors that that really came out of the gate and developed a huge fan following and, you know, deeper into their work. It, it almost feels like, you know, they're, they're phoning in, um, you know, some of their newer work. Um, but you just seem to go deeper and deeper and, and ratchet up the tension, uh, nail biting page Turner. Uh, I saw that review a number of times. Um, how do, how do you feel about having a character that has such staying power, um, but the world just gets broader and the characters get deeper? And um, how, do, how do you feel about where you are in your writing career? You know, uh, Hank, uh, you, you pretty much nailed it in terms of, I think, what what compels readers to stay with my series and what compels me to to write book after book in the Cork O'Connor series. And it's the it really is the richness and complexity of the characters and the relationships. When I taught writing, uh, what I taught my students was that a good story isn't about what happens. It's about who it happens to. And so if you write characters who are human, believable, characters that readers can invest their hearts in, um, then readers are going to follow you uh, uh, pretty much anywhere. When I sit down to write, a, you know, a, a, a long time ago, right from the from the get go, I made the decision to have my characters age across time. Right. Um, I wanted them to, to to show the ravages of time, to show how uh, each of us is changed by time and circumstance. And so, f- across the course of the series. All of the characters have aged approximately 15 years. So we've, wa- we've watched Cork's children grow up. We've watched their relationships to one another uh, change, how they see themselves and how they see the world change. And so that keeps it fresh for me because every time I sit down to write a Cork O'Connor novel, I'm writing about different people than I wrote about in the last novel. Things have happened to them that have changed them. Um, and I just love being a part of that journey. And I think that's one of the things that keeps readers coming back to my work. They enjoy that journey as well. I, I know that you've made the commitment to to aid your characters and to follow them through life. But in the beginning of a new novel, when you're 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 working out your plan for the novel in, in whatever form um, you tend to to use, 
do you have goals for that character? Like, I, I need to move this character to position X or to age X and and show what that looks like. Or is it just a natural progression that comes out when you're writing? Well, back in the old days, Hank, <laughs> I used to think my Cork O'Connor stories through as, as completely as I could before I ever put my fingers to the keyboard or, or pen to paper. Uh, because, uh, you know, all of my stories are in the Cork O'Connor series are essentially mysteries. And a right. mystery is an intellectual construct. It is creating... Um, a, a world in which all of the all of the wall, you know, it's like creating a, a house in which all of the walls have to meet perfectly at the corners and the roof has to fit exact. So I think my stories through, used to think my stories through as completely as I could. So I knew where I was taking the characters, what the what each chapter was going to accomplish, where I wanted my characters to be at the end of that story. But for the last maybe three books in my series, I have abandoned that process. I've only known, generally speaking, where I was going to go with the story. And I've let it reveal itself to me as I wrote the story. And it's been um, an extraordinary and rather um, sometimes concerning process. <laughs> Do you know... Um, one one thing that that uh, critics of that style of writing or, um, you know, if, if you're talking about the the two pure writing camps, you got plotters and pantsers, people that that you know, work out the, the plot of their story ahead of time and then people that write by the seat of their pants. And one thing that that uh, plotters will say is, well, you'll have places in your writing where you just get stuck because you don't know what's going to happen. And whereas if you plan it out ahead of time, you have a plan each day for, for how, you know, you need to move the story ahead. Um, when you switch to this style of writing, did, did you ever have moments like that where I, I just don't know what's going to happen next? Or were you always thinking kind of ahead of your writing? I, uh, and you're absolutely right that one of the advantages of thinking your stories through is that you don't wake up in the middle of the night going, oh, God, what's going to happen next? <laughs> or you suddenly realize that you've written your character up a blind alley. Um, and that was one of the reasons I, I liked the outlining process. But, you know, Hank, I've been telling stories for so long that I have just now begun to uh, really trust my storytelling instincts and uh, and not be concerned about going up blind alleys because I usually don't anymore. And, uh, and trusting that if I've put a character in a situation that's difficult to see the, the resolution to, I will see that resolution. So I don't worry about it too much anymore. There, there, there really does come a confidence uh, with knowing your characters, knowing uh, knowing your process uh, that just comes with, with practice and experience, doesn't it? I'm going to say yes to that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the uh, even though uh, with 19 books in the series, the, you know, the, the saying is that the, the blank page is the great equalizer, that, that we all in the beginning of a novel are staring at a blank page. Um, are, are there certain rituals that you have developed over the years of, you know, I do this certain thing, 
when a book is starting or I, I go to this particular place or, you know, is, or is your creativity kind of keyed to, to, to certain things that kick it off? Well, we all have rituals. I think all writers have rituals that we believe uh, help help us to create the stories, help us to actually go through the process of, of writing the story. Um, but I have to be honest with you, I have never feared the blank page because when I, back in the days when I actually wrote longhand, I wrote my first eight or nine novels longhand. Um, and that blank page to me was nothing but possibility. I so... I was always so excited about uh, putting something down on the blank page. Um, and uh, these days when I sit down to the computer to write something that's new, I usually have spent some time thinking about um, what it, what kind of story it is that I want to create um, and, and where do I want this story to go in terms of carrying uh, the reader along an emotional journey. So it's, it's not like I'm sitting down and I, I have no idea what the hell I'm going to put on that page. The blank page is nothing but possibility. I'm going to put that on a note on my monitor. I love it so much. Uh, Fox Creek, when you're hearing this, is uh, available everywhere. Go grab it in your local bookstore and support local books. Or if you prefer to shop at Amazon, we're going to have links to that in the show notes where you can grab it in Kindle edition or hold the hardcover in your hand or audiobook uh kent you know over the last few years audiobooks have really um taken over the market uh, you know it's the fastest growth market in publishing right now uh, how do you feel when you hear um one of your novels in audio i have to be uh, perfectly frank with you i i seldom listen to my own stories on audio uh, I have great readers. Uh, David Chandler, who does the uh, Cork O'Connor series, is magnificent. Yes. I get compliments on his reading all the time. But I don't listen to David for this reason. David doesn't read the stories as I would read the stories. <laughs> Nobody read, would read the stories as I might read the stories. So it's uh, once I've written them, they are done. I'm finished with them and, and I move on. And uh, David does just his spectacular job. Um, and I, you know, I have to be honest with you, too. I uh, much of my quote unquote reading these days is done via audiobooks because I do a good deal of traveling and nothing makes the, the miles uh, fly by faster than listening to a good story. Well, well read completely agree we're going to have links in the show notes where you can grab it uh, from audible if you want to listen to the audiobook uh, or kindle or uh hardcover like we said uh kent if if people are just discovering you god forbid and, and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do and you've got a massive back catalog for them to go explore now where can they find you online www.williamkentkruger.com Excellent. We'll link that up as well to make it easy for folks to find you. Kent, thank you so much for taking time to come back on the show. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Hank. Thank you for having me.